when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends! Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, alright? I need help! E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Oh, yeah. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh my god! Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being even keel or having extreme depression. Oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increase in amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact, Jack! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. What's up, Doc? I'll tell you what's up. Based out of Atlantic City, New Jersey, Geek Time Entertainment runs exclusively along with different events in the area to strategize with their partners who will benefit with increased exposure and patron traffic. Geek Time Entertainment will work with your event in increasing the event's traffic via social media, radio, and storefront advertisements. Holy cow! Also, they will help increase business for your company and event with different sales incentives. Duh! Whether your event will be small or even mid-scale, Geek Time Entertainment is the group to work with. That's what I'm talking about. Contact them today at geektimeentertainment at gmail.com or facebook.com backslash geektimeentertainment. Oh my god, who the hell cares?
Hi, this is Bill Conti. You're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Getting his education at LSU with a major in composition and piano, then topping that off by earning his master's degree at Juilliard School of Music in New York City, Bill Conti really hit the mainstream professionally with a small movie at the time in 1976 called Rocky. Besides being the composer for the film and most of the sequels, his recording of Gonna Fly Now reached number one on the charts July of 1977. Besides his involvement with the Rocky series, Bill has kept busy with both TV and film projects. Many of them include Dynasty, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, and also movies like Masters of the Universe. Bill has spent many years as a conductor and musical director for the Academy Awards. In April of 2008, before a packed house at his alma mater, Louisiana State University at the LSU Union Theater, Bill had the distinct honor of being inducted into the Louisiana Music Hall of Fame. This gentleman on the phone now, as promised, <laughs> very, very eclectic in the jobs he has done within the music industry. He's been a film composer. He's done production music, source music, dramatic underscore, musical director for the Academy Awards. He's been a conductor for the Academy Awards. He's done TV, movies, as we said. His Probably most infamous song is Gonna Fly Now, which reached number one in 1977. Also, at his alma mater, F of LSU, he is in the Louisiana Music Hall thing. Bill Conti, how are you, sir? I am well. Well, first and foremost, how busy are we nowadays? Because obviously I know you do different award shows, and you've always kept your hand busy, so what's going on in the real world right now? Well, it's non-busy right now because uh, uh, my wife has taken ill a, a few years ago, and my, I've cleared out my schedule to uh, be with her, and I don't travel anymore. Um, so so a, a, an occasional thing might come up that's close to home. I did the uh, uh, Carol Burnett 50th anniversary show uh, sometime before Christmas, and and some little things if they're close and easy, easy to do. So I, I'm semi-retired. Nothing wrong with that. You, your uh, resume speaks for itself and makes your retirement definitely earned. <laughs> well. Um, it, it it feels it doesn't feel good to to uh, uh, watch uh, my wife's condition, but uh, I am uh, so happy to be with her mo- as much as I can be. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing with uh, music and jobs like that, because I'm sure not only if things are close, you might be able to write stuff from home nowadays, because a lot of people have home studios and. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It, that kind of convenience, I'm sure, makes it easier to be with your wife during this time. Yeah, I never uh, uh, 
went to work, so to speak, but I did travel. In other words, I I did conduct a lot of orchestras, and that meant going out on the road. Um, and uh, that uh, yeah, that gets a little old, uh, and and uh, the traveling isn't really necessary now. But music is wonderful. There's nothing wrong with music. There's nothing wrong with uh, writing music or listening to music. I go to see the, I hear the symphony uh, here in town. I go to every opera. Um, the music life is just not professionally very busy, but music is wonderful. It's always going to be a part of your life. Oh, of course. In fact, yeah. Most people's lives, I would think. Exactly. So, you know, with that creativity, obviously professionally things have slowed down somewhat by choice uh, for obvious reasons, but do you still find that part of your brain that you're always, hey, let me write this down, or you, you still get that spark for ideas? Oh, yeah. That, that, uh, maybe, I don't know that it's built in, but when I was growing up, because my grandfather was a musician, my father was a musician, so from an early age, it was always centered around music, and then a lifetime or a career of music is not something that you, you turn off. What goes away are deadlines, which, uh, a professional uh, composer has deadlines. There's a show time. There's a there's an air time. There's a release date. Uh, the person who composes music, not for in a professional way. Um, and when I say professional, I don't mean that you can't be a composer, a professional composer, if you don't write for film or television. But it's it's the one form that pays you. And and they all have deadlines. If you had a commission to write a piece of music for uh, an orchestra or a patron that is commissioned a piece of music, you eventually would have a deadline for sure. And it would be a concert, and you'd have to make that deadline. But with film and television, uh, those deadlines come up uh, uh, like right away. In other words, even in the history of, of... Film music, when in the in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, there were what they called uh, contracts that were 10-week contracts. You had 10 weeks to uh, to write and compose your music. Now that went away by the 70s, 80s, and 90s, when when you might get uh, in one case uh, two weeks. Rocky was done; it was three weeks. Uh, I did uh, movies in a week. Uh, and that might be 45 minutes of music to an hour's worth of music. So it becomes almost stream of conscious writing. It, it, you don't use your eraser very much because it's the first thing that comes in your mind. And uh, if you if if you have a week to write 45 minutes of music, then it's simple math. You must write X amount of minutes a day to be able to get the job done on time. So inspiration is a luxury of the composer who has plenty of time because if one morning you wake up and you don't feel inspired, well, well maybe tomorrow I feel like writing some more. No, no, when, when you're a film and TV composer, you wake up in the morning and you, sometimes you must write X amount of music that day. You might not like it. They have to like it, whoever's paying you, Definitely has to like it. 
but you have to uh, have that ability to write. And, and, and now, then a, after a career of that, you can you can even rest. Yeah. Now, we, obviously, you said you've done projects, whether it be as a conductor and where you go to symphonies as well and all that stuff. But you mentioned in that answer that about being on a deadline. Now, when you're hired for such a project such as TV or film or anything like that, and they give you this deadline, will they give you an idea of what exactly they're looking for compared to, all right, just go and freelance this and you get? You, you, you cut out at that last one. What, did you, what was that? I, said, I was asking, you know, when you're hired to do these projects, film, TV, yeah. you know, whatever, do you, uh, are, are you given an idea of what direction to go in with the music? or is Well, you, uh, now look, first of all, there's, there's a process. And uh, everything in, in dealing with film and television is cast, meaning the network or the producer is, is trying to find the project, the right project, the casting for uh, the right script. Oh, I don't feel like doing a Western. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. Or a script comes across someone's desk and they say, I really want to do that. All right, that's because they've been hunting and searching for something to do. Or the network says, oh, we want to, this kind of project. Okay. Then the producer goes off and casts the director. Says, who would be perfect to do this? Who would be the perfect actor, actress? Who, so there's casting done for that. Now when they, they shoot the movie and they cast who will shoot it, the right guy to shoot it, would, oh, he's never done a, 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 a Western. Let's get him. He's, he's really good with Westerns because they have a resume that you've seen with their work. So that's cast. By the time they get ready for the composer, they're going to cast the composer. What has he done like it? Does he do anything that we we hear that we... Oh, yes, he, he did this. We like that. So they cast the composer. Then, then the composer has an agent. They approach the agent. They do the negotiating. Does the composer want to do this movie? This is what's offered. Uh, this is what we want. They negotiate. You settle. You agree. All right, now you're on the project. Now, you sit with the, the producer or director, and you start to agree on where will the music be. And in relation to the budget, there's always a budget. There's no such thing as an unlimited budget. You can't get the, the most expensive actor in the world if your budget doesn't allow for that. So you, the same way with the composer, and same way with the size of the orchestra. So... What is the music budget? X. Oh, okay. Th with this budget, we cannot use the London Symphony. We cannot use, but we can do this, we can do that. So that the, after the budget considerations, now you get to the aesthetics and try to make that work. In other words, we want a classic score. We want strings and brass and woodwinds. No, we don't want a classic score. We want synthetic. We want... Uh, uh, rhythm-driven, atmospheric, uh, uh, synthesizer music, uh, 
so you there's a lot of agreeing. So you agree that the music is going to sound like this. And the best way to do it for the people like the director and the producer is to show you, meaning they have the film and they'll put some temporary music to it, music that's already been around. There'll be a dramatic scene and the director will have a piece of music that he thinks will fit it very well. It's already been used, meaning that piece of music exists in a, in a, on a digital form or on a tape or on a recording of some so they'll put that in there and they will explain to you this is the kind of music we want in this scene and a professional composer will understand what they mean if they used a uh, a synthetic score a driving uh, uh, score from another composer or John Williams score with a classic sound that you want um, anyway they will show you that kind of music and you will understand what they mean they don't mean exactly to to plagiarize or copy that, that music but the essence of it they, so you they want, want that if, vibe of what they're looking for yeah you, you'll get what they're looking for so th- this will be an agreement of sorts meaning you where does the music begin where does it end and of what nature is it and you're doing this with words, and, and the director is showing you music that he thinks fits it. Now you go off and you actually, in some cases, have to do a mock-up, meaning with, with synthesizers today and computers, we can make it sound like it's going to be in a demo form uh, to give the director producer an idea of what it's going to sound like before you do the actual recording. Even if it's synthetic, it might be cheesy little sounds that when you agree on that part of the process, like at the mock-up, it would be like a demo. Of, uh, you would audition. Some people want you to audition every cue. Some don't really care. But what's, let's say a movie requires a big theme. Well, you have a right to, you have to tell them, you play it on the piano. You can put it up in a little garage band demo of this is what I think the theme is. And then you'll agree or disagree or make changes or just come to an agreement. And then you go to the full process of recording, which could be, if it's a classic score, you're going to book an orchestra, you're going to do the arrangements, the orchestration, you're going to uh, do whatever steps it takes to create that music. And if it's computer-driven or synthesizer-driven, then you're going to go through that process. Totally different processes, but but the idea of of creating the music for every scene and then realizing it. So the realization would be the recording of it. Sometimes the recording is done on your computer, or, or it's done in a recording studio. Whenever it's done, you get to that point where you're going to play it for the director, producer, and this is the music that they bought. So they, we, they must like it. You, you go to buy a, a, a new suit, you put on the jacket, and you go, well, the arms are a little too short for me, or a little too long, it's a little too light, too tight in the back. Can you take it in here? I don't like the color. Could we change the fabric? Uh, in, in other words, all of those things have to fit the movie the way you all agree it to fit on. So... All the words, the thousands of words that you used before, 
And the, as much agreement as you can get to before you do the final recording is very helpful. Because even during the final recording, which no one can really imagine, except when you do it, this is really what it is. And at, at that moment, someone might say, could you change that? So now your skill as a, a, a conductor or a realizer of the music, you have to tweak it. So you do that till you again, you get agreement. Now, how does it fit? I like it. The director likes it. Take It's a little too this. Change it. Okay. And then the project is finished. It's not. It's finished in terms of the recording. Then you go to the mixing stage where the three elements, the dialogue, which is an element by itself, just the dialogue, words, and then the effects, the door slams, the gunshots, the helicopter sounds, all the effects, and the music, the three elements of a movie, are mixed together to get the perfect balance that, not you, the, the composer wants to hear mu- more music, the effects editor wants to hear louder effects, the dialogue cutter didn't hear that word because the door slam was too loud, so he's got to hear every word clearly. Now the master fight begins. The mix of the levels between dialogue, effects, and music. That's the final battle. And the director, of course, is the is the artist who will make the final decision and say, I like it. And the, you may not hear the word. If he thinks the effects are more important, you might not hear the music if he, if he thinks the word is more important. But that final mix will not be yours. You'll contribute. You, you'll be in there. Uh, giving your best shot <laughs> and your best opinions and, and talking a mile a minute. But in the end, the director will say, that's a take. And that reel will be finished. And you move yeah, on. And there's to the nothing next wrong with you fighting for the war. Oh, you fight. You fight. You- I mean, you, you know, you, <laughs> you fight as best as you can, you know. Yeah, Everyone tries to be a gentleman. There, say again? What I was going to say there is there's nothing wrong with you having that fight and drive to say, hey, this is what you hired me for. And <laughs> no, me no, for. no, no, you're hired for your advice and your music. You don't get the final say. That's yeah, what the director true. for. <laughs> true. And, but and by the way, we, we want a director. We, we like it when there's there's one voice that pulls it together. Otherwise, it's a camel. In other words, a film, if you see a film... It's even reasonably good. It's a miracle. All the contributors, uh, uh, and, and creative people, everyone is, of course, is creative in the process. But the director has to pull it together, and he makes the final. Uh, for example, in the mix of the music, well, I'm the final arbiter of that mix of the music. I this is the way. I want the music to go because I'm the music guy. But how loud is it in the movie? Well, that's not my job. That comes down to the next that conversation that you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's go with something such as, and I'll use Rocky as an example, because you were associated with several of the several installments of the series. Now, you have your whole button of work for the original Rocky. Do you find it difficult in composing for the second and third and future installments? Well, you know, the only time that I think that uh, I had a disagreement 
with the producers of, uh, of the Rocky movie uh, was on, on Rocky II when, when I wanted to do new music. And I didn't get the point that they said, um, no, 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 we have to have the same music. It's people love the music. And I'm saying, but I, I can write new music. Where's the challenge for me to, to, to create new music? And they say, no, you can't create new music. It has to be the same music. So we had this disagreement. And I think in the meantime, and it resolved in their favor because they they have to win. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But then I went off to do the Bond picture, and I, went, I did a, a, a For Your Eyes Only was a James Bond picture. So, and and the uh, and the, when the producer on the James Bond picture said, you know, Bill, when we were deciding where to play the music and what to do with that process, he says, here when James goes into action, if you wouldn't mind playing James's theme. You know, dun da da dun dun da I go, well, of course. I wouldn't think of doing anything but James Bond's theme when he's going into action. Now, then, then it dawned on me. That made perfect sense because at that time there had been 25 years of Bond movies. And, and that was ingrained in you that when James Bond started to go off, it was dun da da dun 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 But at the beginning of the Rocky movie, it was like... That was Rocky One, yeah. and so when we got to Rocky Two, I didn't realize we were about to do six of these. Well, it always had to be the training you had to do going to fly now when he was training because that was exactly. that was exactly his thing. So all that fighting with them was like stupid on my part, and I and I got it. I got the message finally. Yeah. Well, because you brought up your association with Bond. I won't throw this person under the bus, uh, but I forget which Bond film it was for. And uh, we're at the moment, but there was a couple very well-known Hall of Fame musicians. Uh, they're both in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I got to speak with one of them. We're just, you know, over dinner, you know. It wasn't on a taped interview, but he was talking about him and his other Hall of Famer. He, he was a bandmate with got hired to be a part of the Bond series. Hey, we'd like you guys to come in, do the project, you know, the whole thing, what you mentioned before. So they sign on to do the project and they go in for a meeting to speak with the producers and the director and you know, to get the lay of the land on how they you know, kick around ideas and such. So sure enough, these you figure these guys are professional musicians, the whole nine yards. And right away, the producers and the director go, all right, all right, guys, here's what we're doing. We need you, the title of the movie is this. You need to call it a title of the theme of the song. That, like, And these guys had no clue about music. It was like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, you know, it was just like one of those, you know, complete shock to the artist. <laughs> Hey, if that's what you want, would you bring what you hire us for? <laughs> oh, but it was just funny. But it all worked out in the end, but it was just hilarious. Oh yeah. Movie people don't know about anybody else. <laughs> yeah, they're like hey, the the musicians who were hired that I was talking about, they uh go, Well, we 
going to tell you how to raise funds for a movie or how to direct a movie or that's not our get. That's not our bag. And that, yeah, so the way you told the story was hilarious. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you with this then. Uh, in the introduction there, I mentioned that you were inducted into the Louisiana Music Hall of Fame. As someone who went to college down there at LSU, all those years later, back in uh, 2008, what was that like for you to be honored on this whole campus there? Well, I, uh, of course, it was a, a thrill and, and, and great satisfaction. I went to high school in Miami, Florida, and then I got a scholarship to LSU. Uh, I graduated high school in 59, and uh, I was on a bassoon scholarship to LSU, and I ended up um, marrying a girl from Baton Rouge who'd been married 53 years. And uh, that, coming back to 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 receive that award and pulling me back into uh, an adopted uh, an adopted state, you know, I spent not only the four years, but because of uh, the woman that I married and her family and kept going back to Louisiana, it was a big deal. I really, uh, yeah. it was a, it was a big thrill. And I have, uh, uh, a, I have five grandchildren and the eldest, uh, granddaughter who graduated from, will graduate this June has, uh, of all the schools, uh, that she could go to, and she's a music major, is going to go to LSU, which was another a treat. To, and, and and with no influence from me, by the way, I, I can't help the fact that that's where I went to school. And, and I went to Juilliard after that, but but she uh, she wanted to go to Louisiana State. Now, here's a girl from Los Angeles, California, who is going back into Louisiana for four years. I, I would think. I'm really proud of all of that. Yeah. Well, let me ask you uh, for my final question, though, because you just brought it up there in that answer as well. You, you did your undergrad at LSU, but you went to Juilliard, according to my research, for your master's. Was there a difference in philosophy in how they taught you music? Well, the well, it was... Uh, uh, the, the difference between undergraduate and, and, and the graduate studies too, so that the the, the undergraduate studies uh, that I had at LSU, I thought was a fine education. The teachers were wonderful. I I enjoyed the music environment. Uh, I, I, I it was wonderful. I mean, I enjoyed all of that. And then, of course, New York and and graduate studies at Juilliard. And it all has to do with the teachers, you know. I mean, the environment is is so different. When you talk about Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or New York, New York. Uh, but you had teachers that were, were shaping you, that that you uh, were growing as a musician, or you hope you were growing. You were, that was the plan. And, and both of them had... Uh, wonderful experiences in music, and it all has to do with the people, the teachers. It's like anything else. Why do people care about reality shows? I mean, they care about the people. Uh, For one reason or another, you pick something. It's the humanness 
of it all. So the teachers at Juilliard, of course, were wonderful. As the ones at LSU, uh, the, the, the vibrancy of uh, New York, which is like uh, one of the biggest cities in the world, one of the, you know that energy, and 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 uh, Baton Rouge, which is the state capital, but it's it's a LSU town, it's a college town. Uh, well, are you on any kind of uh, social media or anything like that that, that fans of music or your works in particular? I'm not on social media, no, I'm not. Okay. Well, Bill Conti, thank you so much. Okay, the pleasure is mine. Thank you. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Wow! Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts, there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing. It's going to make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope want to jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS.
Hi, this is Amanda Wish, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio.